Ewan Pearson, producer, songwriter, remix, <laughs> extraordinary bullshitter. <laughs> Take out the video, sorry. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Wonderful, and that was Australia. Hi, everybody. Um, we've only got half an hour, and um, I'm going to do basically. I've thought about some of the things like this I've seen, and rather than kind of sit with Ableton or whatever, all of which, well, half of which you know um, probably inside out and backwards better than me, um, I want to give you a very quick kind of scoop around the way I work, some of the different ways I work. Um, I'm concentrating particularly on a couple of key ideas. One is what I've kind of come to call platform agnosticism, which is don't get too help with one particular software setup or one particular set up altogether. Um, one of the things I've learned from doing a lot of different stuff for different people is it really helps to be flexible and to move um, from software package and from format to format um, and to think about some of the issues that arise as a result of that. Um, and also I want to talk a little bit, I just want to show you a few things about my studio and the way I work with a kind of hybrid sort of digital analog setup. I have a fairly um, small studio space here in Berlin um, I got rid of my analog desk a few years ago, but I'm still really crazy about analog stuff and sort of integrating that with computers. Obviously, I only have a, a MacBook here, so um, some of it is going to be show and some of it's going to be tell. So please accept that as a, um, a compromise on my part. Anyway, um, for the nerds, I'll show you a diagram I made when I set my studio up a year and a half ago and re-plugged everything else in. Because basically, I'm really forgetful, and I do all this stuff once, and then um, I can't remember how I did it again. So I made myself a diagram. Um, and I wish you would like to see it, CDR. There you this go. Is, this is proper nerd business. Um, I'm going to move it over, don't worry. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You're going to have to duck out of the way a bit, don't All right, this is, this is my how I remember everything is plugged in diagram. Um, Basically, my studio, you can start, this is the kind of the centerpiece, which is a metric halo interface called a ULN8. Everything pretty much plugs into there. And then the speakers, which are these fellows here, are plugged in through an SPL um, control box. So that gives me the kind of control center um, equivalent that you'd get in a mixing desk. I'll show you some pictures in a sec. Um, this ULN8, a uh, really brilliant interface made by an American company called Metric Halo, and that's kind of the centerpiece of everything that I do. Um, I have a mixer called an Exum, which basically all my analog synths and things like that plug into, and a mic preamp called a Great River, which is a very nice sounding dual um, mic preamp. Is that a lunchbox so, lunch style thing, is it? It's, uh, no, it's the, two, it's the one unit rack. Okay. It's basically like two... Um, it's, it's, <clears throat> what's it based on? It's based on the 1073 mic pre's. Um, and it sounds really good. The other thing which is really important to me is this thing here, which is a, a, a Neve compressor called a Portico. Um, basically everything I do goes through analog compression. Um, at the final stage. Um, I do occasionally use um, software compressors. I use software compressors a lot in the software, but I do um, pretty much always send things out to the portico for a little bit of compression before they go to mix. 
Um, it sounds beautiful. Um, I'll show you a few pictures very briefly, just so you can. Uh, there we go. This is my. This is my room. Um, I have various guitar pedals, which live um, on top of the rack, and these are all. These are all hardwired into the software, so basically I have a second interface, a second Metric Halo interface. And so all of these pedals are available as sends on my mixer. So the idea of, when I was talking earlier about the analog-digital hybrid thing, one of the important ways to make sure that you use your analog stuff is to make it as easy to use and as accessible to use as plugins. Um, in the sense that if you have it always high, if you just have your stuff piled in the corner, then you're going to think, actually, can I really be bothered to plug it in um, when I could just pull up this plug-in really quickly? Um, whereas if, you're, if you spend a bit of time getting everything dedicatedly plugged in so that it's on its own send in the mixer, in your very, in Pro Tools or in Logic or in Ableton or whatever, and all these software packages now, have dedicated ways of getting in and out to analog gear really easily. So in that sense, a little bit of preparation and uh, you have this stuff to hand all the time. So, because I know what I'm like, I'm really lazy basically. So um, if I don't have this stuff plugged in and ready to use um, at a moment's notice, I'll use a plugin. Um, and then of course you're wasting all the, the delicious analogness of this stuff. Um, let me get, oh, I don't know. I'll actually see <laughs> where the cursor is. There we go. Give you another quick nerd bit, which is it's not. It's a little bit dark. This is the rack that I have. Um, there is the XSum, which is the analog mixer. Um, there's the portico, the analog compressor, that's always plugged in. And then some analog effects, a lovely old Lexicon Digital. Um, okay. So, the idea I was talking about before, this notion of um, platform agnosticism, basically, I started off, like many people, um, on an Atari ST when I was a kid, using a uh, program called Creator. Um, and at the time, basically, there was eMagic making Creator, and there was Steinberg making Pro24, and eMagic went on um, to make Logic, and then to be bought by Apple, and uh, Steinberg, as you know, went on to make Cubase. Um, and then once, once you got your, your Mac computer, and you could run audio and MIDI at the same time. This was the kind of, this was the massive breakthrough. The idea that you could have audio and MIDI information all on the same page, all on the timeline. Um, I guess most of you are younger than I am, so you, you may not, you were, you've probably been working on these things since that was the case, but I can say that the first time I got my hands on uh, a sequencer that did audio and MIDI on the same page, it blew my tiny mind because basically it opened up all this stuff that you could do um, that was so difficult and so so time consuming before. When I started doing remixing, if somebody wanted to send me parts, they sent me a DAT. And basically the DAT had a mono track on the right hand channel 
and they had time code on the left-hand channel. So what I had to do was play back from my DAT machine um, the time code stripped DAT, record each channel in one by one. So basically to build up my multi-track used to take, I don't know, four hours or something. This before I could even start work on the remix. Um, otherwise, you'd have to do things like I'd have a sampler and I would have each, let's say, if I was doing a vocal remix, each line of the vocal or each word of the vocal would go on a different key on the keyboard and then it would be triggered by MIDI. And that was how, I mean, and I don't want to be too old-timerish about this, but we worked hard in those days and you don't realise how easy you have it with your laptops and you're able to, and goodness knows what. <laughs> we suffered. Um, Okay, let me actually play some music, because that's probably what you want to um, get to. So, what I was saying before about platform agnosticism. Have your software, learn your software, learn the tricks, learn it inside out, but don't get too tied down to one particular platform. I've come to the point now where I started on Logic, I loved Logic, I didn't want to do anything else with anything else, and then Ableton came along, and I kind of fell in love with that. And in the last three or four years, when I've been doing a lot of work with bands and producing, I had to learn Pro Tools. And I'm, now Pro Tools is my favourite, but the most important thing from my point of view is to be able to switch between them, to nimbly move between them when you need to, and not to get too tied down to one particular platform. I mean, it's possible to do a remix entirely in Ableton. Um, the last remix I think I did entirely in Ableton was a mix I did for Foles about three years ago, the, the band from Oxford. Um, I have it here. Um, it just about all fits on. Um, I mean, something like Ableton for a remix like this is obviously, it's a great platform to use because I have to do quite a lot of time stretching. Like the Foles play, I don't know if you know Foles, but they play pretty fast, although they're playing kind of very, um, 4-4 four, four beat driven stuff. Um, I think the original tempo of this song, which was Olympic Airways, was 140 beats per minute, or 142. It's pretty fast anyway. And uh, I wanted to keep a lot of their original parts, but make it into a house tempo. So, something like Ableton is, vi you know, is absolutely vital, because you've got to do a lot of time manipulation. So, with something like this, it's it's pretty straightforwardly laid out. I have the band's original stuff that I'm using along the top. Um, how do they give you the parts? Are they? They just give me parts as um, WAFs or AIFFs. It's pretty standard these days. I mean, nobody gives you the DATs anymore, thank goodness. But um, yeah, I mean, just sent to me as a file or it used to be sent on a DVD. So, with something like this, um, as I said, manipulating the time frame is the most important thing. So bunging into Ableton and being very quickly able to um, to change the tempo and to get other beats together. I mean, this was done pretty quickly on the fly, actually. So you'll see that basically Ableton's tendencies towards using audio and towards manipulating audio mean that when I use Ableton, I tend to I tend to throw audio into it. I tend to use a lot of samples. I tend to use a lot of loops um, from CDs. I tend to nick sounds from other people's records I like. There's a Matt Edwards Radio Slave kick drum. It is a remix of one of my songs, so I'm allowed to take it. Um, because 
I am, because I own, I, I own the copyright and the sound recording. So, um, but again, Ableton, I think, tends to push you in certain ways, which is, it's very good at the whole point of the elastic nature of audio, and you're able to throw things into it quickly and get a good result. So, it tends to push you down certain paths. Um, I'll only play you a bit of a mix rather than talking the whole time. Um,
world of Mars. But that was just quickly and roughly recorded from a synth back into Ableton. As was this part below. So another little hook line. not really wanting to do a great deal um, of kind of musical improvisation or exposition means it's very easy to stay in a program like Ableton. These days, two years later or three years later, I would, um, I would actually bounce the tracks out and I'd put them into Pro Tools and I'd mix it in Pro Tools. Um, because a friend of mine once made me do an AB between bouncing it down in Ableton and then putting it all into Pro Tools and doing it as a a zero level uh, mix in there, and that people at Ableton would hate me for saying this, Ooh. but you could definitely hear the difference. I, and I'm not, I don't have the best ears in the world, and I'm not a sort of, I'm not an audio snob um, too much. Um, but the other, the, sorry, the other, yeah, yeah, can you, um, yeah, when you say there is a difference when you AB, then what did you identify as the particular um, Stereo image. Um, and certainly a kind of weight in the bottom octave as well. I mean, people will argue about this because when you're summing things digitally, it should be the same. It should be the same, it should be the same, it should be the same, and yet there's something which strikes one as not sounding the same. Now, whether this is psychological or not, I don't know, but the, the practical benefit also of moving, say, when you've finished a song in, in Ableton into something like Logic or Pro Tools to do some final tweaking. It's just forcing yourself to take a break, forcing yourself to reevaluate and saying, right, that was my moment of creation, that was the bit when I was putting music together, and now this is a separate section, this is me thinking about mix, this is, and we, we all mix on the go, we all make sounds on the go. And I, I've had frantic arguments with engineers that I've worked with um, producing bands because I want to start mixing the drums just after we've recorded the drums, because I like the idea of having the drums sound kind of like what they're going to sound in the final mix. And my engineer thinks this is horrible because in his slightly older-fashioned way of looking at things, you do the mix at the end of the song when you've recorded all the song. Again, there's no right way, wrong way of doing it, but one of the good things about forcing yourself to move from one platform to another, for example, in the way that I do, mixing either in Logic or Pro Tools later in the, later in the game, is it does force you to, it switches your mindset and makes you think, right, I'm, I'm taking stock and I'm thinking about this in a different way. So even if when you've moved into the other software package, you've only done a couple of tiny level changes and you may be, but then you might hear a part and think, actually, that would do, be nice with a little bit of extra echo on it, or maybe I need to re-EQ this bit. So I think, I mean, I'm a terrible ditherer. I mix everything I do like five or six times, so... Um, I'm maybe not the best person to follow in terms of best practice for this kind of thing, but I think certainly that splitting up your workflow between the sort of composition and the, uh, 
the mixing stage definitely has some advantages. Um, I'll show you quickly what, what we're doing for, how we do for time. Um, a remix that I was just finished for a, a friend of mine in London for, his, for Tim Paris for his label marketing. Um, this one started in Ableton uh, and then it went to Logic uh, and then it went back to Ableton because I decided that the first version I did was uh, not to my liking. But again, just to show you that if you're getting stuck, I basically did almost a full arrangement in Ableton and um, I took done this arrangement and bounced it and everything and, and went on holiday for a few days um, to went to play at a festival in Austria um, and couldn't get my head around it and couldn't think how I was to finish it. So basically I exported it from Ableton and then took the exported parts and pushed it into um, Logic and made myself essentially um, remix the remix. Sorry, just loading it up. Which again, was kind of I could have just started deleting tracks in Ableton, I could have just started to unpick my initial Ableton session. Um, but as I sort of had some parts and I had some sounds which I liked and maybe like some of the sounds had some effects, effect settings I wanted, so rather than saying, alright this version isn't working, it's like, alright, if you bounce everything out as rendered files, then you almost, you, it is like remixing the remix, you then have parts for a new remix and then you take them and you think, alright, where do I, what do I like in that, what's working, and then reevaluate. So this is the original version that I did. Another thing which I do quite a lot when I'm working in Ableton is, I'm sure quite a few of you work in the same way, is kind of, let me just get rid of that. Sorry, we haven't got a lot of room here. Um, is basically make kind of impromptu arrangements um, using the using this pattern view, and then basically sort of playing an arrangement live using these um, uh, using the triggers from the side, using the clip triggers from the side. So basically playing parts. Um, vocal house thing and I've done this sort of funk arrangement. I basically got just stuck around this kind of two chord figure and 
For me, Logic is a program where I feel happy to play stuff and write parts. And so, although you can do all that with Ableton and it has the MIDI capability, for some reason, I'm more comfortable in Logic, so in order to force myself to actually do something musical rather than throwing kind of um, chunks of audio together, I was like, all right, I'm going to export it from Ableton and uh, move it into Logic and start actually doing some music. Um, okay, just loading up the Logic session. How long did the mix take you going through this problem? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> weeks. Well, not weeks of continuous working, but... Including the uh, little trip to Austria. It was, I don't know, to be honest, in total. And the, the thing is, it was a favour mix for a friend, so when they're not paying you any money, they can't uh, complain about the time it takes to do, to do it. Um, funnily, it's more like that these days than it used to be. Um, what, in terms of doing favour mixes? <laughs> yeah, I seem to be taking longer and longer to do mixes. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just getting older, but I'm, I'm willing to stay up all night if you pay me, but if you don't pay me, I'm not staying up all night. I'm sorry. Um, okay. Um, you have to bear with me because I'm missing quite a lot of plugins because I use the other thing that I love um, in my studio setup, which is a hardware, a digital hardware thing, is the um, UAD2 processing card. Um, and it's the best value for money of any thing I've ever bought from my studio. It's, it's pretty amazing. So basically most of the EQ plugins I use and a lot of the compression plugins I use come from the UAD2. Um, and I don't have one here, so. What's so good about the UAD2 cards? Um, I think it's the fact that, I mean, the idea is that they are, um, they are simulations of hardware stuff, but they're not afraid to put um, plenty of colour, basically, and they're not afraid to, um, to, to distort and to um, affect the sound in non-linear ways, in the ways, the ways that we used to love machines for doing. Except, rather than buying one, um, one 1176 compressor, you've got as many as your computer power will allow you, so you can start putting them over different channels and not just be restricted to kind of bussing and sends and stuff. Um, let's have a look. I also have Ableton rewired logic for this. Um, I can't quite see everything, but let me move this out of the way. see now that my logic page is basically comprised of rendered audio from my original um, Ableton session. So I kept that little because I really like that. 
but I've basically used um, Ableton Live to add some more house and drums. And I've uh, got busy with some uh, built-in soft synths in Logic in order to do a kind of more acid house type I saw you were using the track delay in Ableton. 
uh, was it for uh, latency or for groove adjustment and is it also available in logic? Uh, yes, uh, yes to all of those. Basically, um, one of the biggest things um, as far as I'm concerned in, in constructing dance music is, I mean obviously groove is a massive important thing, so the ability to lay off particular sounds and to push certain sounds later, even if it's only by a few milliseconds or earlier, uh, makes such a difference to the some permanent delay, permanent reverb. Um, it makes such a difference to the groove of the track. Again, with that one, it sounded like an old fart. When we started, we used to have to trigger MIDI, and um, basically, if you triggered more than a couple of beat, couple of um, sounds on the same beat, because MIDI is a serial, um, uh, a serial system. You know, it doesn't allow it doesn't allow two things actually to fall exactly on the same. Time. So basically, if you do, if you sequence loads of different instruments and play on a MIDI sequencer, um, after a while, certain things that hit on the same beat will start to flam and they'll start to spread and they'll start to separate. So you can have a brilliant groove with five or six parts, and then you add a seventh or eighth part, <laughs> and the whole thing falls apart, and you're kind of pulling your hair out and trying to move things back and trying to offset other things. Um, and it's one of the wonderful things that we don't have to worry about these days. Uh, so instead, we can use delay um, basically to create groove, knowing that what we do will stay exactly where we put it and won't move. So, does that, does that help? Thank you. Cool. And then, any other questions while we're in question mode? Cool, okay. Um, yeah, so what I was saying about not getting too stuck in one particular, one particular program and so one particular mindset. As I said, it's great with Ableton because Ableton, you can export all your files with their effects, with their settings, with one button in 10 minutes. It's not so easy with Logic because they're making it quite hard to do these days. There's a few tips that you need to know to do with busing and various things in order to make sure that all your parts come out in time with one another. And if you're working in Pro Tools, um, you can't do offline bouncing, you can only do real-time bouncing. So, one of the tips is definitely to kind of end up in Pro Tools if you can, rather than starting in Pro Tools. Because as anybody that's ever had to um, to make stems for a track, for a remix of something that they've done in Pro Tools, and had to put like a whole day aside to do it, it's an extremely tedious process. So, Ableton and things like that lend themselves very well to starting there and then getting out. Um, as I say, you can do everything in Ableton, and I've done several remixes which I've mixed and, and finished in Ableton, but um, I would advise you to get out more um, if you can and uh, try some of the things that other software has to offer. Uh, another question? Just wait for the mic. Hold on a second. I would say that they're both creative. <laughs> um, it's just different types of creation. I mean, with production, um, it's kind of like about seven different jobs. So sometimes you're essentially listening to what bands are doing and what artists are doing and acting as a sounding board. So basically listening to them, giving them feedback, saying that you like certain things, don't like others, suggesting other ways that they might go forward. Um, sometimes you're massaging their ego, 
Sometimes you're kicking them up the arse because they're lazy or they haven't done something well enough. Um, which you do have to do sometimes, actually. You have to be quite unpleasant from time to time. But um, if they pay you to be unpleasant, it's okay. Um, and then other times it, I am employed to come in and do a lot of arrangement. Um, trying to think of an example recently where I've done a lot of, there's a lot of me in there. The Delphic album, I did a lot of additional sort of programming and keyboards and stuff. And I try, not that I try not to do that, I'm happy to do that whenever I can, but I see myself as a producer in terms of bringing, um, the, bringing more of what's unique and individual to the artist out of them. I don't really want their record to sound like a Ewan Pearson record in terms of having particular kind of musical style. Um, but then there are times when people kind of go, actually, would you do some, would you actually do some work? Will you actually add some stuff? So if they do that, then I'm happy to do it. Nice one, thank you. Nice question. Uh, any other questions while we're here? Okay. Did that answer your question? Yeah? Wonderful, good. All right. So, to conclude, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wish we had more time and I wish I had, well, I wish we were in my studio and it was a lot bigger than the actual. I don't actually wish we were all in my studio. Is that an invitation? Because it's really small, it's about this big, and uh, we'd all feel very uncomfortable. Um, but it would be nice, yeah, one of the other things I kind of like to do with sessions like this is actually show you sort of the kind of archaeology of a track. So with production, go right through from the, the demo through to the final mix down and show you kind of how it changes and stuff from section to section. But maybe there'll be a chance to do something like that another time. But anyway, um, I hope that was useful, and um, thanks for listening. Thank you. Very insightful, and I'm glad you mentioned that. The, you know, perhaps we get you back. Well, we will get you back to do exactly what you said, going from demo phase to end result. That'd be a really good thing to see. Um, okay, so.